My name is Joanne Murphy and I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the Charter Banker Institute, the world's oldest professional banking institute. Welcome to our new podcast series on the future of skills and learning in banking. I'm your host for this first series. The idea of these podcasts came from our annual banking conference in November 2020, when we held a panel session on creating a culture of lifelong learning in the workplace, which we catchily titled, You Don't Know What You Don't Know. If you haven't already seen it, then I thoroughly recommend you go back and watch that session after hearing these podcasts. Throughout this series, we'll be looking at many different aspects of the future of professional skills and learning in the banking profession, but we are also intending on occasion to bring banking learning experts together with experts from other sectors to discuss the future of learning and building sustainable careers more widely. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you do, then please feel free to share them more widely via your social media. Hello, my name is Joanne Murphy. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the Charter Banking Institute, the world's oldest professional banking institute. Welcome to our new podcast series on future skills and learning in banking. I'm your host today, and I'm delighted to be joined by Andy McLean, Global Head of Organisation and People Capability at Standard Chartered Bank, and Matthew Poyagi, Vice President, Pearson's View. Today, we'll be discussing the technological developments that are required to enable future skills and learning. Andy and Matthew, welcome to today's discussion. Just to start us off, Matthew, I'd be really interested in hearing from you about the current trends that we're seeing globally, um, particularly in light of the changing requirements with the pandemic, remote working and, and learning. Yes, hello, Joe. I, I don't think the pandemic caused the change in learning necessarily. I think what the pandemic did is accelerated a trend towards online being the new normal. And data from all sorts of surveys is now showing that online learning is becoming the norm. Now, what technology's role in this is, is to change the model that where in the past we took three years to learn something or four years and then apply it into the workplace, that's what's changing. And I don't think necessarily that it's a technology thing, a technology trend here, it's a market trend because younger generations, they learn completely differently and they consume completely differently. And what technology will allow us to do is introduce things like speed and flexibility um, and, and certainly more and greater engagement in learning to accommodate how these people learn, how young people learn. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, just building on that point, Andy, I'd be interested to understand at Standard Chartered how that has impacted on the learning that you're delivering um, and how you're engaging colleagues and those developing those future skills at the moment. Absolutely. Um, and I would completely echo um, everything that Matthew just described as being the, the trends that we're seeing and what lies behind them. Um, this is very much a case of accelerating what was already in train um, at Standard Chartered, we were already in the process of um, procuring a digital learning experience platform 
uh, and moving more towards uh, digital bike size learning and, and virtual learning. Uh, we're a global company. It makes sense for us to do so um, in, 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 in many ways. That has been massively accelerated um, by, by the pandemic um, last year. Uh, and I think the acceptance um, by people across the organization um, that this has been a, a net positive experience um, has also helped. And, and what technology now provides us, I think, is this design opportunity to, to rethink how we close that gap between the acquisition of knowledge uh, and the experience gained on the job. And I think we can do that in a number of imaginative ways uh, using the technology available to us. Do you think that there's any technology in particular that you're seeing um, that's, that's becoming most popular in use com and compared to other technologies? Is there, is there something that has potentially, um, I think probably to Matthew's point about that this is this acceleration of digital, has there been um, one area in particular that you've seen in the last 12 months that has grown exponentially in, in comparison to others? I, th I think for us, we're probably just starting to scratch the surface of this. Um, so given that this conversion from predominantly classroom to predominantly digital and virtual has happened so quickly, I mean, we've seen a 37 percentage point shift um, away from classroom training. Uh, at this time last year, 54% of our training was delivered in the classroom. Um, you know, now that's uh, down to 17%. Um, given the speed at which that's had to happen, the technology we've been able to use um, has been um, uh, not, we haven't been able to access the full suite yet. Uh, so we've moved much more towards uh, virtual online uh, learning lessons uh, and also the use of videos. But I think there's a lot further to go. The areas where we're looking at uh, most immediately are we're, we're talking about the places where people learn. So we're talking about creating the gym where people can um, do bite-sized learning that really sort of develops the different muscles that they're going to need to use in, in a given role that they're, they're interested in. Um, repeat data visualization exercises, for example. We're then talking about the playground where actually you use simulations to give people the opportunity to practice some of the decisions and actions they'll need to take in a given role, but to do so in a safe environment uh, where you get feedback and you start to emulate some of the, the sort of apprenticeship that we would have been familiar with um, in, in, in the past, but now has to be delivered more remotely and more globally. And then we're talking about the marketplace uh, as the third place to go. And this is where we connect our talent with opportunities to connect with a mentor, uh, and the, the right mentor for them in a particular skill may not be in the same country as them, for example. So how do you get that right match going? And how do you actually generate the project opportunities or the job shadowing opportunities? So again, you move straight from learning um, and acquiring knowledge through into practicing and experiencing the, the skill in, uh, in, in everyday use. That's, that's really interesting, Andy. Thank you very much. Matthew, if I could come to you. It, Pearson View is obviously a, a, a global organisation um, as well, global exam delivery. What's the major trends that you've seen um, at, at View? So, Joe, to complement what Andy was saying, I think the most exciting piece of all these, of all this, and, and the trends that we're beginning to see are something that I call the laser learner 
which is that individuals are themselves ready to learn in bite-sized pieces. So learn something today, apply it in their work or whatever they're doing tomorrow, or they call it their project. So you learn now and, and then you can immediately put it to good use. And, and the, the, the Generation Z group of learners and workers that's now coming to the fore is really quite comfortable um, learning on the go and learning and applying really quickly. And I think that's the single most important thing that they are willing to take hold of their own portfolio of skills and to be responsible for how they evolve as people and how they pivot throughout their careers based on what they learn. Um, you know, in my day of learning and work, it wasn't like that. You had a fixed period of, work, of learning, education, and then you work for the remainder of your career. Young people don't operate like that at all. And their willingness to continue learning, you know, we call it lifelong learning. It, it, it's lifelong education, really, that it doesn't just happen at one point in time for them. Um, that evolution and that change is what will allow then technology to play its role to make learning available all the time and any time. And, but, but I think, you know, it has to be really engaging. It has to be really good because the other characteristic of these young people is if they don't like it, they switch off in an instant. Matthew, if, if I can maybe, and I'll come to um, Andy in a moment for this. So, so absolutely, I have a teenager in the house, as you know, he's, um, you know, he's online and, and absolutely immersed in, in gaming. And I, I get that they, they're just, they're technology natives but we've got mixed and multiple generations um, using technology. And as you've said, we've got people in the workforce who would have maybe gone to university or they became qualified in whatever they were doing at a certain point of their career. And now we're asking them to go into a continual learning environment. So do you, do you foresee, is, is there any different approaches that have to be taken to support those individuals? And Andy, I'm going to come and ask you that, that question after, if Matthew's got any view yeah, on that. It, it's the, I think it's the most important question, but I think that that's where technology um, comes to the fore, Joe, that technology itself allows people to learn at their own pace. Um, the good thing is Andy and I are catching up because we, we order things online we, we can binge watch Netflix, which is what the kids do. Um, so we're becoming more comfortable, more au fait with technology, um, but technology needs to run at the pace of the learner. I think that is the critical piece. Um, you know, there are some things I think that won't change. You know, the most, I mean, I've got kids here too in the house and they, you know, they, they watch Netflix at one and a half times the speed. I can't ever imagine somebody of my generation not watching and rewinding to catch what was said and going through it a little bit more methodically, perhaps. Whereas these kids just, they'll watch a two hour movie in an hour and they'll fly through it and they'll get the essence of the thing. And so I think their patience is less, but their willingness to absorb more is greater than ours ever was. That's a, that's a really interesting point. Andy, can I come to you with the same question? Because obviously the size of started, Standard Chartered, huge workforce, multi-generational. How are you overcoming some of those issues with the digital native and the changes in learning as a result? It, it, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and one which goes right to the heart of my own experience, I have to say, in recent years. 
Um, I think I'm an early example of people of my generation who, uh, and there are relatively few of us, I think, but I've made two fairly decisive career changes um, uh, in my sort of mid forties onwards. And um, that has required me to, to go back to the drawing board and to, and to learn again. Um, some of us are more ready and willing to do that psychologically. I think the simple fact is that uh, that is going to be needed more and more by more and more of us um, in order to maintain our employability and our relevance. So there's, there's something around really explaining that context to people uh, and therefore not creating a burning platform, but creating the, the, the sort of purpose behind which um, people are, are doing it is, 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 is one sort of point I would make. And then the second point I would make is it's not, I don't find, speaking personally, I don't find the technology, you know, learning through technology difficult because by definition, the technology we're rolling out is making it easy to access the Netflix of learning, for example. Um, it's, we're using similar muscles to those that we're, us we're using to, to consume uh, material in our day-to-day -day life. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that provides a barrier, the technology provides a barrier. Um, but I think what's really important to double down on is that we do, to Matthew's point, we make it engaging, we make it fun, we make it something which all generations want to come back to. No, I think, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. Um, any areas in particular that you're focused on and, and developing for, for the future that now um, moving forward, as you said, you know, there, there's been changes in the use of video and different means, but there's there's other areas that have to be developed further. So what what do you see in the, the future in the next sort of three to five years as, as coming to the fore, do you think? Well, for us, we're, we're very focused on the, the need to upskill and reskill the bank in the, uh, in the skills that uh, are increasingly uh, relevant to our strategy and our ability to remain uh, relevant and competitive uh, as, as, as an organisation. Um, and those won't surprise you that those are the sort of skills around um, use of digital technologies, um, use of data to be able to personalise our product offerings and support for our our clients and our communities. So um, that's really, every, everything then flows from that. Um, and we're looking very closely at specifically what, um, uh, what are the upskilling needs? So where does everybody need to become more literate in uh, particular skills? Um, and then how do we generate and provide those in a way that's easy for, for people to, to consume? Um, and then where do we need to, to, to reskill people? So one, one thing which comes across really strongly for me when I talk to, to colleagues at Standard Chartered uh, is what matters to them is employability. For them, skills are a route to employability. They, they want to see that link from one to, to the other. What does this mean for me? What is the purpose of learning for me? So we're, we're trying to establish those connections more clearly. We're trying to map that on end-to-end -end, uh, learning journeys for colleagues, which are tailored around where their start point is. We're trying to get ahead of future um, rounds of restructuring and target the right type of learning and reskilling opportunities for colleagues who may be in job families or roles that we predict will need fewer people in, in the future and give them the opportunity ahead of time to reskill towards roles we predict that we'll need more people in uh, going forwards. 
So that's that's very much our focus at the moment. We actually, that's one thing at the Institute that we talk about a lot in, in light of our, with our membership as well is, is about building sustainable careers. That's really what your CP does. You do that original learning that gets you qualified to a point. It gives you that deep learning, but actually it's all about then maintaining that knowledge and, and maintaining that to give yourself a, a, a sustainable career. Matthew, if I, if I could come to you, because I suppose you've got two different lenses on this um, where you have Pearson View involved in educating and assessing the world, but also you've got a large workforce as well that you, you have to, to balance. What do you see as the, the sort of the future trends that are that are coming through that are um that are occupying the, the thoughts at Pearson? I think that there's two themes here, but they, they really nicely come together. The first is that learning, and, and certainly this is Pearson, you know, we, we've just recruited a, um, a, a new chief executive who's joined us from Disney, Andy Bird, who, who's quite brilliant, really, and, and really forward thinking in this stuff. And he talks about um, the business of learning being less formal and more skill-based. And I think that works because that will play into the style of these gener of the younger generations and how they like to learn. But the other theme that weaves nicely together with this is that we have to connect education with the workplace because what we have to do is to get people, and it's not just people who are not working, but it's preparing people for, to improve their skills or their next project within the same company, or of course, whether they move on to do something different. It's just constantly reskilling and upskilling people. And we, We've got to tie the output of what education or learning gives people in terms of skills with the requirements that employers need for what they are looking for in terms of skills and, and hirings. Um, otherwise, there's just a constant disconnect. You know, we read over and over about skills gaps. Um, but I think this is going to be really compounded. This was on Sky News not, not long ago about... Um, 90% of the workforce needs to have um, an upgrade of skills by 2030 in the UK alone um, because of the, you know, the threat of robotics and automation and so on. How is that going to be rolled out in time? We should have started 10 years ago. So um, the two have to come, to come together. Um, learning the way people like to absorb and learn and, and then ready to apply with what employers are looking for um, for the skills of the future. No, that absolutely makes sense. And I actually, I read that report as well. So it was quite shocking when you think 90%, we're saying 90% by, you know, in under 10 years, um, yeah. even reskilled. It's, it's, it's an absolute, um, an absolute challenge. Have you seen um, any best practice or uniqueness in any other industries? That, that we could learn from? Is there is there anything that you've seen where somebody does it really, really well? Um, I think, you know, we're in education ultimately as Pearson. Um, you know, you look at what startups like Uber and Airbnb have done. I mean, they've really disrupted their space um, in the hospitality sector. And, and just about every job function has changed there. Education has lagged behind. 
but that's okay because education is, is sort of traditionalist in itself. Um, but the, the danger now is because education is such a people intensive sector, it then suggests that the opp opportunity for disrupting it is really strong because it is so people centric. So it's beginning to happen. Um, and I work in education and people are chomping at the bit for change. So I think it's coming for sure. And I'm sure Andy can talk to that in terms of banking and, and retail banks compared to people now banking online and how that's changed. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Andy, do you, do you want to just build on that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the thought which you both triggered for me there is, you know, given the scale of this challenge, how do you scale the response? Um, and one of the things we're looking very closely at is how do you continue to make this a self-driven thing as well? Um, it's very difficult, you know, we're in the early um, stages of defining reskilling uh, journeys and reskilling pathways for, for, for people. We need to get this into, into the DNA um, of everybody in the organization. We need to get, but also give people the tools to understand who they are, um, what their style of working is, what their style of learning is, um, where their greatest potential lies um, and where they can realize um, the, the best of them as individuals uh, and then uh, create some more systematized and automated links to therefore, you know, here are some options to think about and have a conversation with a few people to, 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 to zoom in on. So that to, to, to my mind is the the, the sort of end goal of where we get to this in order to scale it, it becomes much more self-driven. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that actually. And I read something, Joe, that was really interesting from Professor Fraser at the Open University in, in the UK. And she said that for the younger generations now, education is about giving them the ability of how to learn, how to change, and how to be on the lookout for new opportunities, how to be ready for those. Um, that's one thing. And the second thing she said that, that I think is really important is that, you know, that diversity is a big topic in the world today. And, and, and that Pearson too, you know, we're giving it a lot of, of, of necessary attention. But we have to tackle digital poverty because if you don't, you're going to create this terrible divide between people and the learning opportunities in front of them but equally if you can do that and you you give education and make education available to all just think of the opportunities for everybody it sort of levels out the playing field doesn't it and gives everybody a, a greater chance and that's what we all aspire for yeah no, no i absolutely uh, would agree with that that that's you know a great equalizer and, and actually on that that point because i think we're all aware that as a result actually of the pandemic that in some ways we have taken a step backwards in terms of 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 in, in greater inclusion um and from but from a learning perspective because one of the points that you made at the start matthew was around that actually it was an acceleration of the trip it was an acceleration of the direction of travel that we were going in um but I was also conscious of of Andy's comment about that we had to, you know we had to change it at, at pace um I'd be interested to know whether whether maybe Andy if I could come to you if there's anything that you think that we've left behind that we need to bring forward um that you know because it was just too complex to try and navigate around the pandemic 
So is there anything in terms of learning and technology that we actually have to bring back into the fold that, that, that we left behind as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I wouldn't, um, I don't view it so much as having left it behind. I, I think it's stuff that's still on the table to go after. Um, and, and just the, the kind of things we're talking about here today, technology just uh, opens up so many opportunities for us now. So many tools that help to level that playing field, as, as Matthew says, that, um, that, that we, we just need to work out how, how best to use them in, and use them in harmony. Um, the one thing not to lose sight of is, is obviously the, the employee experience in, in all of this. This has got to make sense to them. It's got to be simple, easy to navigate um, uh, and, and to, to, to understand. We need to serve their needs um, whilst also uh, gently encouraging some of them along the, along the pathway, if that makes sense. No, I, I, I absolutely, it absolutely does. Matthew, from your perspective, you've got anything that you want to add? Yeah, I, I say this a lot, Joe. It's about currency and relevancy. And what I mean is for both sort of teacher, instructor and learner, it has to be irresistibly engaging. Um, and but, but more importantly for me, it has to be steeped in real life problem solving. So, you know, if you're if you're an accountancy, a finance or an accounting student, um, what you learn and, and the way you're assessed and certified needs to be based on the things that you're going to be doing in your work, not memorizing and remembering stuff from a book. Um, you know, lab-based examinations or assessments, performance-based, simulation-based tests. You've got to be able to measure these, these young people on what they are going to be doing in the workplace um, so that so that they know precisely how to do something and then make a contribution from day one. I think that's going to be the key. I, I think from one, one of the things that really resonates with me is that, that technology is just the enabler, but actually this is all about experience, learner experience, and just as if we were designing a product where we would be very centric on the customer experience, it's taking learning and giving it that lens where it's about this learner experience and the technology allows that to be enabled as a result of that. Yes. And Joe, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned micro-credentials. I think what technology is able to do, and I think this is the hardest piece, by the way, to try and put together, is to make it customizable. So if Andy and I are going to work towards the same end goal, we at the same end qualification, let's say, we should be able to take different pathways to get there, to individually stack our credentials to achieve the end goal. But Andy and I may end up achieving the same overarching qualify, umbrella qualification, but how we get there is different because we work in different sectors of industry or our job roles are slightly different. Um, that also needs to be taken into account. But I, again, I think that's the hard piece because today, you know, people measure on what they appear what they think is a level playing field. How do you make everybody's qualifi qualification stackable and different, but still achieving the same thing? Uh, we're seeing that a lot. So in our, our qualification design, actually that's a huge factor for us. And actually we do have a, an experiential route to chartered as well. 
and that really allows the individual to bring their experience in. It recognises that not everyone's experience will be the same, but you can assess it to that level. So there is a standard there to be achieved, but your route to it might be different and is most likely to be different. And actually, I think that that's what we're encouraging is this diversity in your career. Yes. Sustainable career is about diversity of skill, diversity of knowledge, and bringing those to the point. But but you're right, Matthew. It's it's right the way through that journey. How do you make that relevant at every single point, and and really embrace these different routes that people people can take to their learning. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. I just like to thank Andy and Matthew for their time and their insightful contribution. I look forward to our listeners joining us for the next instalment. Thank you. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>